please go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 22. Exodus chapter 22 will be there in verse 21, as well as in chapter 23, verse 9. <clears throat> Let me uh, ask you... Um, a question that, that I think will, will help you to understand a little bit of, of where we're going today and what we're talking about. And my question is this, have you ever been a stranger? Yeah, you know, when I say stranger, I don't mean like stranger, danger, weirdo, creepy. I mean just a stranger, that a person who was unknown and you knew that. Maybe it was, you know, your first day of school or your first day of college Maybe it was when you started a new job or visited a new church. Maybe you were at a party where everyone else seemed to know one another, but you didn't know anyone. Whatever the circumstances were, how, I want you to try to remember, how did being a stranger make you feel? How did, how did being a stranger in a situation where you just kind of feel alone, you kind of feel like you stick out, how did that, how did that make you feel? I, I can tell you from my, my own experience, uh, times that I have been a stranger in a new place, I remember kind of like my first days of college and, and things like that, where you feel anxious and, and a little afraid, quite honestly. It makes you feel clumsy and awkward because, you know, everyone else knows the patterns and practices. They know the lingo. They know what they're supposed to do and when. But you come in and, and you don't know what to do. And you're kind of an outsider. So even the words you say and the things that you do, your hands aren't working. Your mouth isn't working. You're just a little clumsy and awkward. Maybe you got this sensation that simultaneously all eyes are on you. You stick out. But you're also completely alone. I, I've had uh, several experiences uh, with, with all of these things, and it's really an uncomfortable situation, and, and it's, it's a difficult emotional experience. And I want to tell you, I, th I think that's normal. I think it's normal. If you go into a situation like that and you feel a little nervous, a little awkward, a little clumsy, you know, uh, if you feel a little bit alone, but I want to tell you something, as, as hard as those situations are when you're a stranger in a new situation, those emotions pale in comparison to the experience of someone who is a stranger living in another country. So not just a new situation, but a new nation. They are going to have all of these issues amplified to, to a great degree. And not only will they have feelings, experience feelings that are uncomfortable, but their actual physical experiences will often be very uncomfortable as well. Because, you know, in, in those situations, they aren't just new, like when we're a stranger, they're also different. They look different. They, you know, speak a different language. They have a different culture and way of doing things. In addition, uh, generally the way people treat them, uh, even as a, a stranger, is going to be intensified if they are an international stranger. Um, on, on the smallest 
you know, least bad end of the spectrum, people are just often going to be more uncomfortable engaging them. Because they're saying, well, well, they even know the same language, you know, well, we at all, you know, strike it off. And, and so people often just avoid at the very least. But on the other end, they are often going to be uh, the, the, the targets of bigotry, people who are just dumb about race and ethnicity and believe that one is superior over another. And, and they will often even have hate crimes and theft committed against them, uh, sometimes racially motivated, but sometimes just the opportunity, because often an international, a foreigner among us, they're, they're going to have they're going to be missing that support system and protection that we all enjoy. They, they don't have the community uh, that we would have. And, and oftentimes the authorities are just less inclined to, to help them if they even bother reaching out to the authorities. And so uh, in a word, oh, I, I also forgot about just economic realities of it's generally going to be much harder for them to find gainful employment to make enough money to put food on their tables and to pay the rent or the mortgage or what, whatever, it is often going to be much more difficult. And so in a word, these people are what we might call, or often at least, are what we might call vulnerable. This is, they fit into the vulnerable category. Often they, the sojourner, the stranger, the foreigner is grouped with the orphan and the widow and the poor. These are the vulnerable groups in society. And so again, you know the feeling of being a stranger, even when you're in your own town, just in a new situation with a new group of people. But the international, a person who is here from another nation, they are not home. They will face uh, far greater difficulties than, than what we often have and so what I want to show you today is God's heart for the sojourner. Like God actually has something to say about this kind of person. And, and what we're going to see is that right in the middle of the law of Moses, this great law that will guide and instruct Israel, especially once they inhabit their own promised land, once they have a, a true uh, stable home, because right now they're in the wilderness, they're at Sinai. But once they have a true home, God wants them to know, hey, here is my heart for the sojourner. Here is how you need to interact with the sojourner. So, I mean, it's a wonderful thing to recognize this is on God's heart. And we'll talk about it again, but you cannot do an honest reading of the Bible and not see God's heart for the sojourner. So let's see how God wanted Israel to respond. The, the first is this, and then we'll, we'll begin to look at the verses, the actual commands. Number one, Israel is commanded to share God's compassion for sojourners. Israel is commanded to share God's compassion for sojourners. <clears throat> Essentially, that's what we're going to see in these laws is, is that this, this law for the sojourner is to be a reflection of God's heart and God's compassion for the sojourner. And so from that compassion, Israel is receiving a command from God. So let's look at uh, this, these commands in the verses. Here's just the beginning part. We'll see first the negative side, what God does not want them to do. 
Exodus 22, verse 21, God says, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. Could be him or her, it's just the general term. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. And then we see in chapter 23, verse 9, which by the way, I think is significant that in both chapter 22 and then later, after many other laws, in chapter 23, God repeats himself. God re-gives this law. And so we, we see the importance of that. So God says there, 23 verse 9, you shall not oppress a sojourner. And so basically God is commanding against two things that are, they're basically the same. They're just different in degrees between this oppression and wronging. And so you have that word, you shall not oppress the sojourner. The way that that's used earlier in the book of Exodus is talking about the way the Israelites were oppressed by the Egyptians. And you say, well, how did they oppress them? Well, they, they made them their slaves. That's what happened to Israel. They had come down in, in Joseph's day. Remember, Joseph you know, is sold by his brothers into slavery, but then he, he gets built up until he's second in command in Egypt. And, and there's a famine all in the land, yet Egypt has stored up all this grain and, and all this food. And so Joseph brings his family down. Seventy persons is, is the whole family. Isaac um, is, is the father, or sorry, Jacob is the father there. But then uh, the, the 12 sons all come down. And so they are sojourning in the land of Egypt. But over time, they are e oppressed. They are made slaves, and not only made slaves, they are treated brutally. So God is essentially saying here, don't do to, to any other sojourners that, that come and live with you what Egypt did to you. Don't, don't do that. So that's oppressing them. But wronging is, is only a slightly less strong word, but it's, it's kind of this idea that like, okay, so you shouldn't oppress them, you shouldn't enslave them and brutalize them. But you also shouldn't wrong them. You know, like if you have them work for you, even as a hired laborer, pay them fair wages. Don't cheat them just because they have no power over you. Uh, you know, you think about how vulnerable they are at the law. Don't, don't steal from them knowing that they can't really do anything, that the authorities are less likely to help them. Like, don't, don't do these things. And I would say this even goes to, to don't treat them with this negative bias or, or talk to them as a racist bigot. Like, don't wrong the sojourner who is among you. And so this is God's negative law. Don't oppress, don't wrong the sojourner among you. And I want to show you God's rationale for this. You know, like, here's why you guys should easily obey this command, why this should not be an issue for you. We see in the rest of the verses, uh, 20, chapter 22, verse 21, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Again, in chapter 23, verse 9, you shall not oppress a sojourner, you know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Translation, you guys know what it feels like to be a sojourner. You know how difficult it was. You know how vulnerable you were. And you know how crushing it was when you were oppressed 
when you were in that vulnerable state. You know the heart of a sojourner. This should be unthinkable for you, Israel. You know what it feels like to be in their shoes. This is God helping them have compassion. And and I would say we could actually take this a step farther to see, you know, uh, kind of an implied reinforcement is why is Israel no longer sojourners in Egypt being oppressed and being wronged? Why is that? Because God had compassion on them. I'm not going to turn back to it, but if you read the beginning of Exodus, that's exactly what you see happen. The people of Israel are, are crying out because of the, this oppression, and God hears their cry. God sees the way they are being treated. He sees the difficulty, and God knows, which I don't need to get into that too much. God, God knows, which we'll see leads to action. And so really what's going on is God is saying, you know the heart of the sojourner, and you know my heart for the sojourner, that, that I hear them, that I sympathize with them, that my heart breaks for them. Rather than being critical, well, they just need to get their stuff together, God has compassion. Rather than, than scorn of like, oh, just get them out of my way, they, they don't belong here anyways, God has sympathy. That's the way God feels for the sojourner, that's the way he treated Israel and Israel should have that same sort of compassion. And so most of what I'm talking about here is they should at the very least have an attitude of sympathy and compassion towards the sojourner rather than what is typical, by the way, typical is to have this this haughtiness, this pride, this arrogance of, huh, they're not one of us. They don't fit in and we like it that way. We can use them, you know, and this is the typical, but God's saying, no, you will have compassion. You will have sympathy for them, this attitude, this heart. But there's a good question that you should be thinking, and it may be obvious to you, but I think it's worth asking. The question goes something like this. From this command, if all you have is, is the, these two commands in, in chapter 22 and 23, you might say, is that all they have to do? They just have to not oppress the sojourner and they have to have feelings of compassion? Hmm, okay. Now, that question could be asked for two different reasons and with two very different hearts. Uh, some of us ask that question because we like to get off the hook do the bare minimum, and walk away, right? You know, so they, that person would say, okay, if I don't wrong the stranger, and if I just feel, feel this sympathy for them, then I don't have to do a thing else. That's all I have to do. But others ask the question for the exact opposite reason. They think, well, it's good that Israel should keep from wronging the sojourners, and it's nice that they should feel compassion for them but is that it i mean are is the sojourner really all that much better off if if people just don't oppress them and just feel compassion for them that second person is asking eagerly is that enough 
Is that enough to just not oppress them and feel compassion? Whereas the first person's saying, that's all I've got to do. So it's interesting that when we come to the New Testament in the book of James, James actually mocks the first person. Uh, look at what he says in James uh, chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. He says this, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Do you see what James's logic there? He's saying, what good is it to just not oppress them? Oh, you didn't kick them. Yay. And you, you feel compassion for them, or at least you say you do. And you may even offer cheap words. Words are cheap, right? Offer cheap words. Go in peace. Be warmed and filled. Warmed and filled, by the way, is you're lacking in clothing. May you be warmed. You're hungry and don't have food. May you be filled. All right, bye. And James is saying the obvious thing, what good is that? It is not enough. According to James and according to God, mere sentiment is not enough. It does not fulfill God's heart for the sojourner. And so here is the next thing we're going to see. We, again, we've already alluded to it, but I want to make it very plain Israel's compassion should lead to acts of love. It's not just enough to say you feel something if it does not lead to doing something. Israel's compassion, according to God, and we'll see this in a moment, according to God, Israel's compassion should lead to acts of love. Now, we don't see this principle uh, in, in chapter 22 or 23 of the book of Exodus. But as I've tried to explain to you before, even though the first giving of the law happens here in the book of Exodus, in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy especially, God fills in the law. He explains the law. He gives greater clarification for what he wants to see happen in response to his law. And so this is what we see about how they should be treating the sojourner. So Leviticus 19, and 34, God says this, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. Right? That's a paraphrase of, of uh, Exodus 22 and 23. Or sorry, um, yeah, 22 and 23. But then you see verse 34, God goes on to say this, you shall treat the sojourner who sojourns with you as the native among you. You, you shall treat him as a national, as, as a, a citizen. Don't treat him any differently. But then he goes on to say this, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Again, repeating what was said in Exodus. Treat them as a native. Don't treat them differently. Don't treat them with negative bias. Don't treat them with bigotry. Treat them as a native. Actually, more than that, treat them as you would want to be treated. Love them as yourself. We see again in Deuteronomy, Moses is, is repeating the law. And so he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's filling in these things. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 to 19. 
Moses says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So again, you see it's alluding back to the law of Moses, uh, Exodus 22 and 23, for you were sojourners. But here, Moses is extolling the compassion of God. And that compassion is, is not without action. Look at it again. It says, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, comma, giving him food and clothing. So God loves them. He has this compassion on them. And that leads God to act, meeting their needs. And so, again, you come to uh, Israel's response, verse 19, love the sojourner, therefore, pointing back to God's compassion that leads to action, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Love the sojourner in the same way that God loves the sojourner. And God does not love the sojourner with mere sentiment. God loves him with action and deed. Therefore, you should love the sojourner, not with mere sentiment, but with action and deed included. God's compassion leads him to acts of love, and the people of God are to reflect, to imitate God. You know, that, that, this is actually one of the, the, the best first examples in the Bible of, of that principle, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Be imitators of God as beloved children, we'll see later in the New Testament. But th this is the principle in the Bible. Like These aren't just arbitrary rules. These aren't just arbitrary feelings even that Israel is supposed to feel. They are to be reflecting the virtue and character and beauty of who God is in their daily lives, in their interaction with others. And here, that is for the sojourner. Be filled with compassion and sympathy for them, understanding the difficulty of the situation they are in, and let that compassion lead you to acts of love. This is what Israel was being commanded to do. This is the fullness of what God wanted Israel to do for the sojourner. And we see that clearly. We've seen it in Exodus and then Leviticus and Deuteronomy. God's heart for the sojourner that's to be reflected in the heart and actions of his people. But if you were here last week, you should be asking a question, an important one right now. You should be, you should be challenging me right now. <laughs> because we said last week, this is the law of Moses, a unique law for a unique people. Do you remember that? We can't just copy and paste every law from, from uh, the law of Moses into our lives. And so we, we need more discernment. We need, we need to use more wisdom. And so would we in this case say, okay, this is the law of Moses, a unique law for unique people. Therefore, 
this law about the sojourner, about the compassion and the acts of love, it no longer applies to me. We live in the new covenant age. We are no longer under the law of Moses in the same way Israel was. And so maybe now I don't bear any responsibility to the foreigner living among me. But here is what I want to show you. And we could spend a lot more time on this than than I'm going to have today. But here's what we're going to see from the Bible. Christians are to carry on God's heart for sojourners. Christians today, trusted faith in Jesus, given a new heart, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, are to carry on God's heart for the sojourner. From what I see, when we come even to the New Testament, even after Jesus dies for our sins and rises from the dead, that that salvation can be received by faith in him, I do not see that Christians have any less responsibility to this command than they did, than than Israel did. In fact, I believe, as we're going to see, Christians have even more responsibility and more explicit responsibility to the sojourner than Israel did when this law was given. I want to give you two reasons I believe that we must carry on this law. First, I've lost it. There we go. First, God's heart has not changed. We did not just look at an arbitrary law. We looked at a law that reflects God's heart, right? Deuteronomy was was probably the most explicit there. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. God's heart for the sojourner What was such that he loved and felt compassion and was led to acts of love. And God's heart has not changed. God does not change, right? Malachi 3.6, James 1.17, Hebrews 3.8, and a slew of other texts tell us that God does not change. There is no, there's no reason to think God's heart is no less sympathetic to the plight of the sojourner or is any less uh, sympathetic to the sojourner than it was in the Old Testament. And so you do some, some mental math there. If God's people are to reflect the heart of God, then if God's heart for the sojourner hasn't changed, then we should be carrying on God's heart for the sojourner. We are reflecting the very same God. This, again, is, is, is a wonderful start to an answer, and there, there are, by the way, commands in the New Testament uh, that, that sort of lead this way. There are uh, even parables and things like that that would lead us to understand God's heart for the sojourner, even for Christians today. But, but I kind of want to take a different path. Rather than just looking at these, these times of God's heart for the sojourner and the commands to us for the sojourner, I want to, to, to go to the next level. Here, here's the next one we should see. God wants to make sojourners into citizens of his kingdom. This is what we see happen particularly, explicitly, and emphatically in the New Testament in a way that the Old Testament saw in shadows and glimmers, but that when Jesus rose from the dead, that he he says, this is the way it's going to be. That sojourners 
would become citizens, not of the country that they're sojourning in, but of the kingdom of God, because that is far more important. Again, I don't want to act like this was altogether absent for the people of Israel. You, you do see these things. You do see these hints. But in the New Testament, you see things like this. Jesus, this is after the resurrection. He says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. You say, well, what do you, how is that important? Well, up to this point, while not, not exclusively, but mostly, God's focus of redemption was on the people of Israel. It was the people of Israel that he redeemed from their slavery. It was the people of Israel that he revealed his promises to and his promises of salvation and salvation by faith like that of Abraham. God, for the most part, was saving Israelites. Not that there were no, no others, but for the most part, God was saving Israelites. But when Jesus came, those border walls were broken down. There is no more dividing wall, uh, Ephesians says. It's talking about the temple that was separated between the Gentiles, how far they could go and how far the Israelites could go. But that's what Jesus wants. He says, no more of just this little club. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That is, all tribes, peoples, tongues, colors, cultures, upbringings. Go, therefore, and make disciples of them. Now, I don't want to take away from international missions. You know what I'm saying when I say international missions? I mean someone who leaves their country to go reach all nations. They go to the ends of the earth, the uttermost parts of the earth. They go there. I don't want to take away from that at all. Our church is 100% pro all nations and people going to all nations if God so calls them and I pray that we would all listen to his voice for that calling. I, I think of the missionaries we support. I do not want to undercut their ministry at all and the sacrifices they have made, by the way, becoming a sojourner in order that sojourners on this earth might become citizens of the kingdom. But, but what I want to mention is that, is that there, there are other ways because in the day and age that we live in, a sojourner is not an uncommon thing. In, in the Israelite days, it, people were much more stick together with their crew. I mean, if they left their father's house, that was a big deal. You know, in our day and age, with rapid travel and, and transit and, and all these ways, I mean, you can get across the world in less than a day. I mean... Or maybe a day, I don't know, you'd have to tell me <laughs> with your trips to Africa. Um, I mean, it's, it's remarkable, and this is unheard of. And so what we have now is an amazing opportunity to reach all nations right here. I, I want to, again, I, I put some statistics in here. I'm not a big statistics guy, but this is actually helpful for me. Right now in the United States, according to uh, the most recent census data, which by the way, there's no way their numbers are correct because the census is not going to reach a lot of people who are here under 
the radar, if you will. But here's what I want to tell you. According to the most recent census data, it is estimated that there are over 46 million foreign-born people living in the United States right now. You say, 46 million, is that a lot compared to the, the population of the United States? Yes, that is over 1 in 10. That's 13%. 13% of the people residing in the United States were not born in the United States. They are foreigners. They are oftentimes sojourners. You know, again, you think about uh, the refugee crisis. That's, that's a, a hot topic right now that you have places like Syria and, and Ukraine that people are just having to flood out of to seek refuge, to not be killed or have their families killed. You think of places that are receiving religious oppression. And so they, they leave. I mean, there are all sorts of reasons. I mean, some just work relocation, and so they come here for a time. I think about with Volkswagen, when that first came in, I ran into a lot more Germans all of a sudden. I mean, th their work would relocate them from Germany, and so now they were, they were here in the United States. And, and so all sorts of reasons, but over one in 10 of the people in the United States right now are not foreign-born. So this is no small issue. This is no small uh, pond to be fishing in, uh, or sparsely populated pond, that one in ten are those people from all nations, not just our nation. And so we have this opportunity to engage them. Uh, number one, to carry on God's heart for the sojourner, even at the practical level. So, so you think about that, at the, the most practical level, I think I put that there, at this, this physical level, rather, how we should be treating the sojourner. I think about this. Christians, rather than ignoring and certainly rather than oppressing them or, or treating them as second-class citizens, Christians should be the ones who welcome them, who welcome them. Uh, Hebrews 13, 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. I've got these. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Not only should we welcome them, we should be the ones who care for them if they have practical needs. Hebrews 13, 6, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Think about it. Think about it. God's heart cries out for the sojourner. And so to meet the practical needs of the sojourner is a pleasing sacrifice to God. This is how we, we carry on in practical ways. And I think we should even be, when we can, the, one, the ones who protect them. Remember, vulnerable. Vulnerable. That means lack the normal protections that, that others have. And we see Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Rather than ignoring the sojourners who are among us, the one in ten, we welcome them, we care for them, we protect them. These are, are, this is how we carry on the heart of God for the sojourner. This is what is pleasing to God. But, Again, in the New Testament age, as God has broken the, the, the national borderlines that he wants disciples of all nations, we need to think about 
how we should reach them on the spiritual level. Make disciples of all nations. And, and this is where something really beautiful happens. This is where something beautiful happens. If we truly are, are imitating God, feeling compassion for the sojourner, then, then letting that compassion lead us to acts of love for the sojourner, they are going to be far more likely to hear us when we go to meet their spiritual needs as well. I, I, I'm not trying to, again, take away from the good of just being kind to, to, to someone else, but ultimately, I mean, ultimately, what good is it to be kind to someone for this temporary life? If, if they're going to spend eternity in hell without the gospel that you possess, I mean, you, you've, you've only made their, their, their plane ride to, to hell a little more comfortable. Like, is, is that enough for us? If we truly feel compassion, if we truly have the heart of God, is that enough for us? But this is where God's heart, it's just so beautiful how it weaves together when we truly, out of compassion, are meeting the physical, practical needs it gives us the opportunity to, to, to meet their spiritual need as well. To, to, to share this gospel of salvation in Jesus and Jesus alone that will make them citizens of a far greater kingdom than they could ever imagine. And that's what we want to do with the sojourner among us. We want to welcome them not only in our country, but also into the kingdom of of God. That is the ultimate goal. That is God's heart for the sojourner for us right here, right now. And that is what Dave and Vicki have, have, have prayerfully, and as they study God's word, and as God has uh, equipped them over the years and given them opportunities over the years, they've said, that's it. That's what God wants us to be about. That's what God wants us to focus our lives on, to be intentional about this, to be active in this, engaging in this. And again, it's been a beautiful thing to hear the stories over the years already of how God has been, has been using their lives to fulfill God's heart for the sojourner, to take care of their practical needs, to make them feel welcome, but also to say, hey, come into the kingdom of heaven with me. Become citizens of God's kingdom through Christ Jesus. That's what God has called them to do. And with that focus, they're saying, we're even going to do the difficult thing of leaving this church that we love to find a church closer to our home so we can be more effective in this calling God has given us. So that's how God has led them to respond to God's heart for the sojourner. That's, that's Dave and Vicky's story, and, and their story doesn't have to be all of our story, but there should be a response. God's heart is for the sojourner. God's heart is that their, their needs are met, that they are welcomed, cared for, protected. God's heart is that they come to know Jesus, people of all nations. So how should you respond? I do have a few suggestions. I'll, I'll make them quick. Be sensitive to God's calling if he wants you to be a sojourner. To, to, to go, leave this nation, go to another nation that you might invite others to be a part of his kingdom. Be sensitive to that. It is a wonderful, amazing calling. 
that, that people have to, to leave their homes, to leave their country, to become sojourners, which, by the way, is what Jesus did. He stepped out of heaven to come and seek and save the lost. I love that Jesus is the one from outside, and he calls the people here at home the lost. Why? Because they were only citizens of an earthly kingdom. He wanted to invite them to become citizens of a heavenly one, to find a true, eternal, lasting home. And God may call you to do that, to leave your home like Jesus did, to go reach all nations, the hard, the difficult, the dangerous. God may call you to that. And I want you to be sensitive to that calling. If that's not what you believe God's calling you to do, then I want you to be, at the very least, sensitive to the people around you. Have your eyes open for the sojourner. You know, have your eyes open to, to those who maybe do look a little different than you, maybe do talk a little different than you. Those who are sort of keeping to themselves, those, those are the ones we need to be sensitive to because God cares for them. God loves them. And God not only wants their practical needs to be met, but he wants you to, to, to do that, to show that compassion and love, and then to show them the ultimate love, and that is through Christ Jesus, to share the gospel of Jesus with them and, and, and continue loving on them and continue sharing. And this is what God would have us do. And I do just want to throw this in, in here as well. When we have a guest at this church, at any of our services, at any of our events or ministries, whether they are a foreigner or a native-born, we as Christians should welcome them. You know what it's like to be a stranger, don't you, church? You, you've been the new person at the church. You don't know the patterns. You don't know the people. Everyone else knows each other, but you're the one just over there off to yourself and, you know, wondering what others are thinking of you and wondering if they care and, you know. We've all been there. So whether or not a person is a, a sojourner, I would encourage you to obey Romans fifteen seven that says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We must be sensitive to these things and we must be intentional about walking in obedience to God's heart. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you so much for this potentially life and path transforming message that you have shown us today from your word. Thank you, God, for showing us your heart for the sojourner. Thank you for showing us your, your ad, attitude of, of compassion that has led you over and over again to acts of love. God, I pray that you would help us to share your heart, to not be so concerned about our own lives, our own schedules, our, our little comfortable bubble, our, our comfortable group of friends, but to be sensitive to the sojourners who are among us, God. 